What's new listeners? I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you're on the mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, I'll be reviewing Loki, the third uh, MCU series to air on Disney Plus, and uh, and I'll, I'll be I'll be doing a, a non-spoilery segment first. I'll be doing a non-spoilery review of the show first, and then after that, I'll be getting into spoilers because I know I know that, and I know that you know a lot of people. If, if you're listening to this, you probably are you probably already seen the show, and you know all the spoilers. But I am aware that there is a, a sector of viewers out there who are maybe more hesitant, who are waiting to get into the show until they you know until they listen to non-spoiler reviews. So, so this segment is for them, and and, and you know, you know if, you, if they want to get into the show, they listen to, to this. So, this is the show that takes place in after the events of Avengers Endgame. You know, when the when the Avengers are executing their time heist, and that's and that's when Loki is able to steal the Tesseract. Now, this is not the original Loki that we followed all the way through the MCU, from Thor until Avengers Infinity War. This is a this is a different Loki, an alternate Loki, who ends up seizing the Tesseract and he ends up going he ends up, you know, teleporting himself out of time and and, he, and then he ends up creating creating a new timeline. And this is, and because of this he ends up alerting the alerting the attention of an organization called the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, and their job is to monitor what they call the sacred the sacred timeline. That's like that, that's like you know the, the, the time the timeline of our universe, the timeline that we all live in, and their job is to protect it from from variants, alternate versions of of people, who may end up messing with the timeline and causing it to branch off into a multiverse. And so the T- when the TVA end up capturing Loki, and they and they end up giving him permission to hunt down a di- to hunt down a different variant who has been who has been killing killing off the Minutemen. That's like the the, the the military unit of the TVA. And so 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 generally, my my general opinions on this show is that I I really did enjoy it. I would say for, for the most part, I really did enjoy it. Just aside, aside from the finale, you may have heard about the, the mixed reactions that the finale has received. And I would say just like, I, I enjoyed the finale for the most part, aside from the last few minutes, which I will, I will talk about that once I get into the spoilery segment. But for the most part, I really did enjoy this show. I think it's very, very well, well written and well directed. Yes, so and so so the the creatives with this, so Michael Waldron is the creator and head writer for Loki. He was and he was also a writer for Rick and Morty. And if you want if you watch Rick and Morty, you'll definitely recognize some of the elements from that show coming over to Loki because Rick and Morty deals with a lot of uh, like, you know, time travel and alternate realities, alternate timelines, you know, parallel universes. You know, like more multiple versions of one of one person, and so I think I think it was, it was definitely a smart choice to get to get Michael Waldron over from Rick and Morty over to do this show. And there was a, I I also heard, heard there a lot of Doctor Who comparisons. I don't I don't watch that show, 
but from what I've seen, I can I, I can definitely see the resemblance between Loki and Doctor Who. And Michael and Michael Michael Waldron, not only did, not not only uh was he a writer for Reg and Woody, he's also actually the screenwriter for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Which you know that'll be coming that'll be coming up soon in the MCU. Obviously that'll be dealing with a with a multiverse. And Kevin Kevin Feige actually tapped Waldron to write his upcoming Star Wars movie. So that that should be interesting to see as well. I, I, I wonder if that I wonder if that could possibly deal with time travel in a way just because just because it, it seems like Waldron a, a, a lot of his most significant projects are dealing with time travel, so I wonder if that Star Wars movie could deal with time travel as well. And 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 then you also have uh, Kate Heron. She's the she's the director and executive producer for Loki, and she was also a director for the Netflix series Sex Education. Yeah, so 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 Loki I think is well well written, uh, well directed. And it's really enjoyable to watch this show because you know it it, fo- it focuses on Loki, who you know in my, in, in my personal opinion in my personal opinion, is one of the I think the most enthralling and most complex characters in the MCU. You know just just you know just, just think back all the way to when he to when he, to when he began in Thor. And just not I, I you know I found him to be a pretty a pretty interesting character already back then, and. You know, just the relation, the relationship he has with his brother Thor, and and then he and then I think he definitely he definitely progresses to be even more of an intriguing villain in in, in the Avengers, and then just you know on and on and so and so the Dark World, and so Ragnarok, and then of course and then of course you know sadly he, sadly he ends up dying, uh, Thanos ends up killing him in Avengers Infinity War. And, but 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 now but now we're dealing we're dealing with a new Loki variant in the Loki show, and I did I think I did have some concerns before the show started that this would feel that this would feel old it, it would it would feel it would feel pedestrian to you know go to go over this arc uh, over and over again because we because we already we already watched the original Loki make some make some character development in the MCU. So now so so then I was thinking, well, what's the use of watching another Loki make the same kind of progression again? But I really enjoyed it. I think particularly the first the first episode in the show does a good job at I think accelerating his arc. So that so you know, kinda kinda like trying to trying to get him to the same point that he was well not 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 exactly the same point, but at least make some progress. So that he's kind of at the same level that he was when he was maybe in like in Thor Ragnarok or Avengers Infinity War, and then you have you know the next five episodes to make even more progress with his with his character. And and Tom and Tom, Hiddle, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, I think he's fantastic as as a character. He really he really captures, you know, he captures all of the facets of Loki. So the sneak the sneakiness. The, the selfishness, but but also the parts of Loki that make us feel feel and make us feel like we can relate to him. You know, he, Tom Hiddleston actually captures the vulnerabilities of Loki, the way that Loki always, uh, you know, the way that Loki secretly feels small, 
and I think you know they say that explicitly in in the show that he feels small, that he 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 feels like he needs to always be be protecting himself, and that's why he he is always, you know, he's always so hungry for for power. It's because he secretly feels weak, and therefore he needs to do whatever he can to grab that power before someone steals it from him. And I enjoy and and the supporting cast. I enjoy the supporting cast a lot. You have you have Owen Wilson in the show as Mobius and Mobius. He uh, he he he's like the sort of like a TVA detective, you know, Asian sort of person, like a, like a handler who ends up getting assigned to Loki, to is to to take care of him and you know to watch over him. And I really enjoy the the relationship that grows between Loki and Mobius. And she's and there's also a Guju and Barsha Law. She's also in the, ca- in the cast, and I, and I enjoy her performance performance as well. She's been in a, in a lot of stuff, like uh, Apple TV Plus's The Morning Show, and uh, Misbehavior, and I think she, she was in the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror, and the Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah, she's, she's been in a, in a lot of stuff, and she, she's good in this. And uh, Wunmi Mosaku, was also in the cast, and she was also in Lucifer and and uh, Love Lovecraft Country, and I don't I don't think she gets that much to do in the first few episodes of the show, but she gets much more to do towards towards the latter half. And, and I, I I really enjoy the whole show, and and also the aesthetics of the, the aesthetics that the show creates for the TVA, kind of like this. It, it it's just, they have this brutal this brutalist architecture for the for the TVA and it get, really gives this gives it this utilitarian office feel just like the way that it's built built with all of these hard edges and 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 even when you're when you're in the TVA the screen has this kind of like a an or an orange brown brown kind of sheen that I think add adds to the it, it it's strange because I feel like the, the, the specific color that's chosen, the tint that's chosen for the TVA, it's kind of it's kind of warm and cold at the same time, which I like that it kind of it 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 adds an interesting tone to the to to the mood. And 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 yeah, I love those, the the bureaucracy of the TVA, you know, with all, with all, with all of the paperwork and you know it has like this. Big library and all of these files, and just all of the just all of the measures that Loki has to go through at the beginning of the show when he has you know when he has to sign into the TVA and he has to sign contracts and just you know there's at one point where he has to wait in line and get get a ticket. And I I, re- I really enjoyed that. It's the the bureaucracy of the TVA. It really it 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 works for the show. Just the way all of these cogs have to mesh together. And I think it definitely works as the show progresses, and you learn more about what TVA is trying to achieve. And I also really, I also really want to give, give a shout out to to the score, because for the, for the for the most part, I would I would say that the MC the MCU score the MCU scores just aren't memorable. And I'm speaking as someone who is a, a film score buff, so you know I I really enjoy I really do enjoy a a, a, a memorable score, and I would say the only ones that I, that I really care for are the Avengers team, 
and uh, the score for Guardians of the Galaxy, that's, that's a good score. I've, I've listened to the whole soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy a few times. And, uh, and uh, Ludwig uh, Gornson's score for Black Panther, that's a good one too. And, and Wanda, WandaVision, that's a good one too. Just like with, with uh, Christoph Beck's score and uh, the themes that uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez made up for the show. But it, for, for, for the most part, I feel like, the, you know, it's not, it's not like the rest of the scores are necessarily terrible. It's just that they're mediocre, they're middling, you know, they're just, you know, they're meh. You know, you, you, can, you, can, you can mush them all together into this one al- am- amalgamation of superhero music. But I think that the composer, Natalie Holt, the one who did the score for Loki, I think she did a great job for the score here because it, 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 I've, I've listened to the score several times on Spotify. And I, I, like, I like how it doesn't, it doesn't sound necessarily like superhero music. If, you, if the, main, the main score is TVA, it doesn't sound necessarily like superhero music. The main theme, I would say, sounds it sounds a bit like like if you check my review that I posted on my blog, it, I said it sounds appropriately anti-heroic, but it all but it also sounds like it sounds like a like, like a roller king like a tune for a roller king sci-fi adventure. It combines both of those elements, and I really enjoy listening to it. And not even just the main theme, just, just the way, I, I would say particularly the musical cues in the fifth episode and the sixth episode, I really love. And just the way that the score is, is used throughout the show, and I, I enjoy that. As, as of this recording, the, the, the score for the first three episodes aren't on Spotify. I, I mean, no, the, the score for the first three episodes are on Spotify, but the score for the last three episodes are not on Spotify as of this recording. So hopefully those last few episodes get put up on the Spotify soon because I, because I especially want to listen to the score for the fifth and sixth episodes. The show is also significantly much more talky than either Wanted Vision or the Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I like that. I know, I think I, I did hear about there was, there was some criticism about that about how the show is focuses much more on conversations than it does on action. And I, and I don't care with that because I, you know, I personally found uh, the dialogue in the show to be quite engaging, especially because they do touch on interesting subjects like, you know, like just very existential themes, like, you know, the meaning of life, or, uh, you know, what it means to lo- to love, or free will versus determinism. I found all I found all of those to be interesting subjects to talk about, and. And I, and I will say, uh, it's not, again, the show doesn't focus. The show isn't meant to be action oriented, but I did find uh, most of the action in the show to be dull. To be dull, kind of like the, just the fight choreography. I didn't really find. I didn't really find it to be that. To be, to be that. To be that interesting. So, but although although there were a few well choreographed fights, I would say in some of the like the last half of the show, maybe maybe more like in the fourth. And six episodes, there were a couple uh, melee fights that I did enjoy. But you know, again, the action is not what—that's not what the show wants to be. The show doesn't want to be an actiony type of show. It wants to focus on conversations, and 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 I, and I like that. Even just the way that the six episode, you know, focuses on a conversation 
rather than a big climactic fight. I like that. I feel like it's 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 a trope for it's a trope for superhero content to end on a climactic fight, and sometimes sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you don't need you know Wonder Woman fighting Ares. Sometimes it's nice to just have a a nice old conversation to wrap things up, and I think that makes things it it subverts subverts the trope. It it makes things that much more fascinating. And aside, aside from the action, I just felt like maybe the, the pacing could have been off here, here and there. You know, like maybe in the third episode, I thought especially the third episode, the pacing was off because it focused much more on character than, than it did on advancing the plot. But, you know, those, those, those are small issues. I feel like overall, I really did love the show. Now, I, I will just say, in regard to the finale, again, without support, spoiling what happens in the finale, I do wish that... It, it ha- I, w- I wish it, did, it I wish it did a better job at resolving the story the story because you know the, the way I feel like the way it en- the way it ends it feels like the show wants it to be a cliffhanger and I'm okay with cliffhangers I love cliffhangers as long as they're executed as long as they're executed correctly but it's one thing it's one thing to end to end a season of a show of a TV show with cliffhanger. It's another thing to end the show in a way that makes me feel like I was about to cross a bridge to get from one side to the other, and then the bridge just starts rising all of a, uh, rising all of a sudden, and now I'm stuck on one side and I can't get to the other, and I just have to wait for the bridge to come down before I can get to the other side. That's that's what I feel like. What what happened at the end of Loki? It's like there, there was a whole bu- whole bunch of stuff happening, and it wasn't, and I didn't get any. Any resolution? I mean, not not any. I mean, maybe I, I don't know. I wish I had gotten more resolution for the plot lines that the show had been building up. And you know, and and, and I understand that there is supposed to be there will there will be a second there will be a second season, but I mean, we don't even know when the second season will be, will be. I mean, you know, presumably sometime next year. But you know, who knows what will happen with the scheduling and with you know if, when when the movies will come out. I'm just concerned because of COVID and pandemic. I mean, who knows when the movies will come out, and that could affect when the second season will drop. Yeah, but I, and and it's, and it's a shame because again, I really did enjoy the finale. It's just the last few seconds. I I wish I was you know I was thinking okay something different could have happened in these last few minutes, and then I would have enjoyed enjoyed the show in its entirety. And 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 it's too bad because. I feel I feel like because at, because at the moment I would I would rank I would rank the the MCU series from like from from the shows I enjoy the most to the joy, to the shows I enjoy the least would be WandaVision. I feel like WandaVision is the show is the show I enjoy the most, and then I would I, I would say like Loki is in the second spot, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think just be, just because you know I feel like there were. I feel like, you know, I enjoyed a lot of things in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but there were some structural issues that I just couldn't, couldn't get over. Just the, w- the way that the story unfolded in some spots that bugged me. And then Loki is overall enjoyable, but it has, a fina- but it has that stick- sticky finale. And then you have WandaVision, which I think is o- overall enjoyable. And then, while yes, I did have some problems with the finale, I felt like that was more satisfying. At least, it, at least it had good resolution. It wrapped things up pretty well, in comparison to the Loki finale. 
and I feel like if the Loki finale has been able to wrap things up well, I think that I think there's a chance it could have bumped bumped Loki up to to the same level of enjoyment as WandaVision. Yeah, so, so my so my official wind up score for Loki is eighty out of a hundred. Again, I I would say I, again I really did love this show again, but you just needed to tie things up better in the finale. So eighty out of a hundred. All right, and now I'll be going into the spoilers segment for the show. So if we haven't seen the show yet, just you know skip on out of here now and go watch the show and then you can come back and if you have seen the show then stay right here all right so now that we're getting in, getting into the spoilers for the show i'm just gonna kind of go, go give, an, give an overview of each of the six episodes and then touch on the, the different the different points i want to comment on for those for those episodes so the fir- so in the first episode i can i kind of i've have, i've kept referring to this episode as the inception episode because this is basically, this whole thing is just an exposition dump, basically. And I do actually think it does a good job at, it does a good job at delivering the exposition in a way that's, in a way that's, in a way that's enjoyable, in a way that doesn't bore you. I know that, I know that there were a lot of viewers who criticized it for, who criticized the episode for, just loading too much info on us all at once, but I enjoyed it because I called it the Inception episode because that's what Inception does for for much of the first act. It just it just dumps all of this info on you, but it does it in a way where the info where you where you receive the info alongside uh, alongside visual cues. So you're seeing you know you're seeing people walk around and you're seeing them walk around dreams. And you're seeing them actually. You're seeing them do things. You're not. You're not just watching people talk. You're seeing them actually do activities, alongside the talking. And I think that. And I think that's what that's that's what the first episode does as well. And by, and by the way, episode one is called Glorious Purpose, and it was written by Michael Waldron, and of course direct, directed by Kate Heron because she she directed all the episodes, and then Michael Waldron was the head writer. So so glorious Glorious Purpose, yes. So. Again, uh, and and there, and there were a lot, a, lot, a lot of things I enjoyed about this episode. And for for one thing, I enjoyed the Miss Minute video. Again, I think this was a good. I think this was an ex- an example of how to deliver exposition in a way that's interesting, because the, the Miss Minute video. Again, you ha- you take you take you, it's like just two two minutes two minutes two minutes or so, of just loading the viewer with all of this info about the TVA and how you know how three timekeepers created it in order to uh, in order to oversee the sacred timeline and that could have come off in such a, a dull fashion but instead they create this whole video with this 70s style animation that imitates the mr dna video in Jurassic park and i and i really did and i really did enjoy it and oh and, and by the way so, so miss minutes she's the mascot of tva she was voiced by Tara Strong, and it, it and it really is fascinating if you fascinating if you look into her voice acting credits because she has a lot of them. I mean, she she was in Batman the Animated Series, and uh, Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, The Powerpuff Girls, so The Fairly Odd Parents, uh, Rugrats. She was in a she was 
and her Comedy Central animated series called Drawn Together. She was in Transformers Animated, Ben 10, a whole lot of stuff. So yeah, so she, so she was the voice of Miss Minutes in the show. And I think she did she did a good, she did a, she did a good job of 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 you know playing playing into the apparent sweetness of the character to the voice. But then right at the end of the show, that's when she that's when that's when she flips, flips the switch and then gets into this sinister voice for Miss Minutes. And I enjoy that. I'll be I'll be getting back to that once once I talk about the, the sixth episode. And oh, and this is this is also the episode that includes D.B. Cooper bit. Now, if you don't know, D.B. Cooper, so back in, ni- in November 24th, 1971, D.B. Cooper was this guy who hijacked, who hijacked a plane flying from Portland to Seattle, and he demanded $200,000 in cash and four parachutes. And he was threatening, and he, you know, he was threatening that he had a bomb, and then he ended up jumping off a plane and the heroes is never to be seen again. And this and this is on, the only unsolved airline hijacking in America in American history. And according to the first episode, to Glorious Purpose, it's revealed that Loki was D.B. Cooper. And the only reason he, he did it was to was because he made a bet with Thor. And, and that's it. And I, and I really just love love the irreverence of that bit. It's really funny, it, you know, because Loki, he, he is the, the god of mischief, he's a trickster god, he, he, pour, he pours all of these pranks and, you know, does all, you know, engages in all of this mischief, you know, just, just because, just, just for fun. And, and, I, and, I, and I also enjoy, you know, Loki threatening to, threatening to got Casey like, Casey like a fish. And, and, and I forgot to mention Casey, so he's played by Eugene Cordero, and he he's like a sketch comedian, and he was in *The Good Place* on NBC. On NBC, and he was also in uh, *Kong Skull Island*, which also stars Tom Hiddleston. Funnily enough, and I really enjoyed him in this show. Eugene Cordero, he played Casey. He's one of the like the TVA office office drones, and it's too bad too bad we didn't get more of him. I kind of he was he was kind of a more more of a cameo in the show, but I hope I hope we get more of him in season two. Yeah, but there's uh, so, so a, so a, a bit in the first episode where Loki threatens to gut Casey like a fish, and then Casey doesn't even know what a fish is, and Loki goes, why does it matter? And Casey replies, I want to know what I'm being threatened with before I comply. <laughs> yeah, just great, great comedic timing there. And this is, and, and then we also learn here that Infinity Stones are, are, just, are used as paperweights in the TVA, and that's because you know, basically, basically, the TVA is able to lock down all forms of magic inside the organization, and that's why the Infinity Stones don't work. And I really enjoyed that bit because, because, you know, we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been watching these movies, and we've been, we've been instructed to believe that that Infinity Stones are, you know, the all-powerful uh, objects, and they're, they're so important. But now it's like we're watching this show. And now we're being and now we're being taught to think. Well, well, wait. Now they're useless. They're they're, no, they're nothing. And I think Loki, uh, Tom Tom Hiddleston did a great job in that scene. I think uh, exp- expressing the disbelief that Loki was feeling that these objects that he these objects 
Thanos, Thanos so prized in our in our universe are meaningless and TVA. And it just feels it feels that feels like kind of a, a meta moment, maybe po- poking a bit of fun at the MCU, and just it, and just letting you know just to, to let Loki know that hey you know you think you know you think you know what works, but guess what you're on the TVA and not and nothing you know applies here. You're just left out. You're just left out to dangle here, and you you know you're subject to our rules now. So I I really enjoyed that. And this is also what Loki and Mobius, they have some fantastic interactions here. And, you know, partic- particularly as to how it sets up, I think, free, free will versus, t- versus determinism. Because, you know, Mobius, he's trying, to pick Lo- he's trying to pick Loki apart and, you know, force him to face his own, his own flaws, his, his own smallness, and his own uh, trivial role, his own trivial role in the universe. And, uh, and... You know, and Mobius even asked Loki if he enjoys hurting people. Well, he asked that quite a few times in the episode, but Loki won't answer until the end of the episode, when Loki finally admits that he doesn't enjoy hurting people. He only does this because he feels like he has to, in order to protect himself. In order to protect himself. And, and 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 again, you know, as as I said before, the first episode did a good job of excel- of accelerating Loki's arc. And it does that through, you know, ha- through you know him watching the reveal of his own life, and of course, you know, mo- most of what he sees hasn't happened yet for him because remember, this is Loki, who just attempted an alien invasion on New York. So for him, for example, he he hasn't he he hasn't experienced the death of his mother. He hasn't experienced all of the, the adventures he went on with Thor and Thor Ragnarok. He hasn't experienced his own death at the hands of Thanos. And and, and and that was really nice to see, you know, especially, you know, because one, once he gets to the end of that reel and he, and he sees his own, and he witnesses his own death, I think that's, I think that's what, you know, kickstarts him into wanting to do something different. Because they set up on, early on in the show that, you know, that Loki, or, or any variant of Loki, they're always, somehow, they all, somehow they're always destined to fail. But at the end, they usually survive, and so I think, I I, I think I think see, seeing Loki, I I think when when Loki sees himself actually die, I think that's what gives him the impetus to go like, wait, I need to change my life here, and I need to I need to divert my path into some into something different, so I don't go down this this other path, this you know supposed this supposedly standard path of mine, where I know I'll die. And I think that's I think that's very I think that's enjoyable, and and, and I want to get a bit get a bit deeper into uh, Mobius here because I really love Mobius. I think particularly because you know of how Owen Wilson plays him, because I think we you know we we all we all know Owen Wilson as a comed- as a typically a, typically a comedic performer who has kind of like a an an all shucks friendliness about him, a, geni- a genial air about him, and he, and he definitely brings that to Mobius, but at the same time, he does also dig, in, dig into more, I think, he does dig into his more dramatic side, and he brings, 
I would say kind of like a, a world weariness to Mobius, a durability to the character. Because when because when I, because when I'm watching Mobius, I feel like yes he can yes he can all, yes he can be quite uh quite affable, but I also get the sense that he's an extremely competent agent who's been working for the TVA for a while now you know maybe centuries who knows, and he's just extremely competent at his job and he can be tough he can be firm when he needs to when he needs to be you know, oftentimes we're seeing him be, being we can. We're seeing him. He can be both nice and kind of tough with Loki, especially during their interrogations. And I, I think, you know, I think I think Owen Wilson has always had potential for that. I think definitely we, you know, from from what I've seen, he's he's dug into more dramatic performances, for stuff like uh, the Royal Attendant Bombs, or the Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu, or you know, stuff like that, and so I, I really, am, I really am enjoying Owen Wilson being able to expand his range here. And then, and then the first episode ends with a with a with a Loki variant killing a squad of Minutemen. And then, so then we go into the second episode, which is called The Variant, and is written by Elisa Karasik, and she was a writer for Bones, the TV show. And in this and in this episode, this is I think this is the first the first time when I began to feel truly suspicious of TVA and um, and her motives. I think maybe maybe even in even in the first episode, I was kind of wondering like well, you know what are they doing because you know they wanted to show this real to Loki and it seemed like this and it seemed like the real of his life was meant was focusing on all of his worst moments and I was kind of wondering well is TVA trying to manipulate him because they're they're not showing any of his good moments and he has had good moments you know with Sora and but the TVA wasn't uh, wasn't trying to show any of that to him so I was one so I was wondering if they were trying to deceive him for their own for their own ends but now what but now when I was watching the second episode that's definitely when I was getting suspicious of um, and wondering, okay, is there something else going on here? And a, a high point for 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 episode two is how it ha- is how it delves more into the time travel, because this this is the episode where we learn that the Loki variant is hiding from the TVA by concealing by concealing themselves in in, in apocalypses. Because the rules are well, because you know the, T- the TV the TVA can, the TVA can track you know what's going on in the sacred in the sacred timeline, but if but if, but if say if the Loki variant goes into an apocalypse and messes with stuff there, that won't matter. It won't be detectable because you know the, because the apoc- because there's an apocalypse happening. It doesn't matter if anyone dies and they're not supposed to, or if some or if something gets stolen. And it's not supposed to be stolen. It doesn't matter because that apoc- because everything, because everything in that event, everything in that in that location, will be destroyed anyways. So it won't matter in the, the grand scheme of things. And I and I really enjoyed this. I I don't know if I've ever seen this trope be used in, in time travel. Just because as as someone who who has always loved time travel and has read plenty of time travel books and watched you know time travel movies. I don't know if I've, ever, if I've ever seen a story that delves into what would happen if you were to hide, if you were to conceal yourself in an, in an apocalypse uh, as you're time traveling. 
and so that and that was and so that was that was really fun to see. And, and I think in, in general, for the most part, I would say the time travel the time travel for Loki, I think is pretty tight. I I, I haven't I can't really poke any holes in the, in the logic. Again, for, for for a lot of stories, you're kind of like, oh wait, if you time travel if you if you do this, then wouldn't you set off a paradox here? But I can't do that for Loki. I think Loki again. It's 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 all the time travel logic, and of course I can't forget to mention the saddest bit, which is it, it's hilarious. You know this is the scene when Loki he's 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 positing his ap- apocalypse theory to Mobius, and so this is when he takes that salad and he's just sprinkling the salt and pepper over it, and then he's taking Casey soda and dunking dunking it all over the salad, and again this again this is also it's funny. But again, this is also another clever way that the show gives us exposition. Again, you're ta- you're taking this whole scene that could be again so boring. Just ha- if you're having Loki just merely talk about just about his variant hiding hiding in apocalypses, but then you haven't. But then you add in this whole element of him using the salad of, of him using the salad as a visual cue for his theory. And you know it it gives us something to laugh at, and therefore also makes it much more much more easier and much more engaging for us to for us to process the the, exposi- the exposition dump. So again, I, again, I, I I really I really love that, and you know there's also I just want to point out a funny moment when Lo- when Loki is visiting the library and he's digging through files in his search for the variant, and it's funny when you know when when that person shushes him. And he just shushes her back. And I, th- I think overall, I think the show, the show is good. The show is quite funny. It's more, it's funnier than I would have, than I would have expected it to be, which is good. I like that. Uh, this this episode also, I think, uh, starts to establish the the, fr- the friendship between Mobius and Judge Ravana Renslayer, played by Guju and Barfavon, and I like that as well. And we get we get some of Hunter B fifteen. One of the Minutemen, played by Rumi Mosaku, and then at the, at the end of the episode is when we have the, the Roxcart Superstore scene, and I believe Roxcart is meant to be a reference to Roxxon, which is in, in the comics Roxxon is like this uh, evil oil corporation, and they, they, I think they, they they made their first on-screen appearance I believe in MCU on the TV show Cloak and Dagger. And now, now we have the Rock Clyde Superstore scene, and and in this, at, the end, at the end of the episode, this is when we get our first introduction to Sylvie, to Sylvie, the, fe- the female Loki variant, played by Sofia DiMartino. And I was looking her up, and she hasn't really done much. I could, I could only find that she was in a movie called Yesterday, yesterday starring Himesh Patel as this guy who was in an alternate, who wakes up in an alternate reality where the Beatles don't exist. And oh, and trivia fact: Kamash Patel was also in Tenet. He was the guy who helped out the main characters, which are Freeport Heist. Yeah, but yeah, but so and so, Sofia Di Martino, I think she was perfectly perfectly cast as Sylvie. And so yep, so that's the end of the second episode, and and then of course now we get into episode three, Lamentis, which is written by Bisha K. Ali who is actually the head writer of the upcoming Miss Marvel series on Disney+, Plus, which I'm personally really excited for. That's coming up after the What If series. 
British world premiere on August 11th. Now, so Patricia K. Aldi, she's the head writer for Mr. Marvel, and she, and she was also a writer for for Sex Education, the TV, the TV show on Netflix where Kate Heron came from. Now, I said earlier that the, that episode 3 it isn't well-paced, and I, and I still think that, even though I actually enjoy the episode, I, I, I really do I enjoy the episode overall, it, but judging, judging it's Judging it purely from a writing standpoint, it isn't well paced because it folks it the whole thing is basically a, a bottle episode, focusing on the characters of of Loki and Sylvie as they're trapped because as they're trapped on the, the planet of Lamentis, as its moon is about to crash into it. And, uh, but 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 it doesn't do much. It doesn't do much to further the plot. It doesn't have much plot meat in it. But still, I, I but still I, I enjoy I enjoy the episode a lot. I think it's, I think that the dynamic between Loki and Loki and Sylvie is entertaining to watch. And it's it's nice to see how they, it's nice to see them in this episode because they're both so deceitful and scheming. And 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 throughout the episode, they're always trying to one up each other. They're always trying to find ways to ask each other questions and then you know evade evade answers. But then, but then, you know, try to sneak in ways to, uh, to pry info, to pry intel out of the other Loki, and, but, but they're not completely the same person either, because, yeah, I think, I feel like, I feel like Loki, Tom Hiddleston's Loki, I feel like he's, he's a little, he's more impulsive, he's more hedonistic, while Sylvie feels more, more, more pragmatic, more pragmatic, more patient, a bit of a, a sharper edge, and there's a there's a moment where was 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 Sylvie. I think she almost gets hit, almost gets hit, almost gets hit by a, a rock that's falling from the moon above. And Loki's trying to help her up, and she's like, you know, get away from me. And Loki just says, "You're so weird." And I don't know that was that. I mean, yeah, that that was a delightful moment. Delight, the delightful moment. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. You know, just Loki saying, "You're so weird." I think the CGI for this episode is also pretty good, and uh, not not top notch. There are some shots, and there was some shots in the episode where I could you know p- pick up on the crudeness of the CGI, but otherwise it was it was pretty good. And then this was this is also the episode that that confirms Loki as canonically queer, because they're ha- you know they're having the Loki and Sylvie in in that train, they're having a conversation. And you know, Sylvie is like, you know, do you have a princess waiting for you, or perhaps a prince? And Loki says a bit of both. And I know, I, and I know there was criticism about about this because that cri- criticism that it wasn't more overt. That you know, that that is sort of that this that this is a scene that could be cut out if it gets aired in other countries. And I, I mean, I, I I can see why I can see why people would feel that way. But I person, but I personally do appreciate it, just because, you know, we're obviously we're in a period now where we want to see more and more, more and more LGBTQ representation in movies and TV shows, and you know sometimes we end up with situations like Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, where you know you have you have this one you know five second scene, just one five second shot. Of two, of two women of two women kissing, and they're both extremely minor characters, and it's a scene that can be easily cut out 
when the film gets shown in places like Russia or China. You know, country, countries that ban LGBTQ content from being shown in, in theaters. And, you know, and, and, his, and, and you, do have, you do have to acknowledge that for, that for any, for, for movies and TV shows, for, for them to show any, for, for them to have any sort of queer content at all, whether it's shown visually or it's shown through lines, that's tough to get. You'll often get a lot of pushback. And so I think it, it's great, and I think and I think it's good to, to see that look that you know Loki was able to have this line here, and I do want to point out that you know Kate Heron she's bi, she's bi as well, and you know she and she was and she was quite happy if you, if you looked on what she, if you looked on what she said on the internet she was quite happy about this, and you know and especially in the MCU we do want to see more more queer representation. And I think we, and I think the MCU is slowly, slowly but surely getting getting better. Obviously, we want to see more, but it's getting better. You know, we started out with, you know, Tessa Thompson's character Valkyrie and Star Ragnarok. She was supposed to have a whole, uh, a whole romantic relation, a whole romantic relationship with a woman in the movie, but that got cut out. And then you had. You know, and then you had, you know, one of the Russo brothers in Avengers Endgame playing a gay guy as a support, as a, you know, Cap's support group. And again, you know, you know, okay, you know, glad, we're glad, we're glad we have that, but, you know, we're getting a minor character. Now we have, now we have a Loki show, which is confirming Loki as, you know, bi, at the very least. Or maybe Pan, you know, who knows, but at least, and Lo Loki, Loki is no minor character. He is one of, one of the biggest characters in the MCU. And so to have this confirmation, I think is is fantastic, and you know, I, I and and I, and I know that also that in the Eternals, I know that there'll be an M M relationship there, and I think and, and Valkyrie will be having uh, will be having a lesbian storyline in Thor: Love and Thunder, and so yeah, I I really do I really do appreciate this. Again, you know, we want to get better with representation. But for now, the way it was set up in Loki, I'm happy with that. At the end of the episode, I also like when, when Loki and Sylvie are running around and try, trying to get to the Ark. I like the way that the city is designed. It reminds me a lot of the way that it... Kind of like the way James Gunn sets up space in the GOTV movies. And even the way that also that uh, space looks in sort of Ragnarok. I think, I think generally the MCU is starting to head towards this direction of creating its own kind of like a bright, colorful, vivid image of what space looks like. And, you know, it all started back in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I, and I really like it. You know, it, it stands out against the, against the, the, the grimy slickness, you know, the, the kind of the grimy slickness of stuff like Blade Runner, or other similar, you know, sci-fi content. Next is episode four, the, next, the Nexus event which is written by Eric Martin, who was also, who is not only a writer for Rick and Morty, but he, he was also a writer for Community as well. This is the episode where we learn that we get to spend a, more, a bit more time with, uh, with Ivana, and we learn that she, was actually, that she actually had been assigned to, to take in Sylvie wh back when Sylvie was a child. I, think she, I, don't, I forget what age she was, maybe like six, six or seven or something like that. And Ravana had the mission of taking her in from her own, you know, uh, branch off the timeline. 
but then Sylvie ended up escaping, and then that's when, you know, she had been, and now she's been running her whole life, and now she's, and now she's, you know, on the run with Loki's, Loki. And, I like, I, I really, I really appreciated the visual effects for the, the pieces of the moon that are crashing all around Loki and, Loki and Sylvie on Lamentis, and the, again, the score, I really love the score, the score here is great. And you have that whole uh, memory time loop sequence, whereas Lady Sif keeps beating, keeps beating up Loki because she she cut she cut off her hair, and that's actually in Norse Norse mythology. Loki actually did shave off her hair in Norse mythology, and it's and it's it's this whole thing where Thor then wants to fight him, but Loki ends up getting to dwarves to forge a golden headpiece for Sif, and they also make Odin spear as well. And, you know, again, the score, the score is on point for this episode, and just, you know, and, 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 and it's devastating to watch, to, to watch Mobius get pruned. And even, even in that scene, I knew, I knew that I was, I knew that Mobius wasn't going to officially die, but it was still heartbreaking to watch that. I think it, it, it also helps that, again, you have performances, you, ha- you have the performances working here, you have Tom Hiddleston, he's just, he just looks shocked, just standing there. Watching his friend get pruned, and even even Ravana, I think Gucci and Barbara, she did she she did she did a good job here as as Ravana, just you know portraying the way that you know Ravana just turns away and closes her eyes. Like she like even though even though she ordered the pruning, it's still hard it's still hard for her to watch it's still hard for her to have to go actually go through with it go go through with it. And 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 I, and I heard and it's and, and it's fascinating to see how. So TVA progresses because as it progresses, we're realizing that you know this this whole organization really is acting acting like a cult because it's it's trying to main it's trying to maintain this all, all this control over its members and you know it it only allows a, it only allows a certain set of information to come in because you know it, because back, you know I forgot to mention back in the third episode we find out. That all of the variants, uh, and then all of, all of the people who work for the TVA, the Minutemen, the Office Drones, the, the detectives like Mobius and Casey, and Ravana, they're all they're all variants, you know, they're all, they're all variants of people from the timeline, and that they had all been taken, they'd all been kidnapped from their lives and and brainwashed and working for the TVA, and you know, and, and that 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 was quite a a plot twist. You know, and, and that maybe made me think, well, well, then, gee, that's sad because I've been wa- I've been watching like you know Sylvie, you know, killed a lot, killed a lot of variants, a lot, a lot of Minutemen, and all variants, and I already did kind of feel bad for them before I knew that they were variants before before back when I thought that the TBA just you know created them to serve its purpose, but now, but then, but then at that point when I was watching the third episode, I was like, oh wait. They're actually variants, you know, the people they had lives, and so you know I'm watching, I'm watching a lot, a lot of them die, and so you know I felt I did feel bad about that. Mobius telling Loki, "I ought to box your ears," is a is a is a great line. Again, just like Owen Wilson just delivers that, with, with his you know his particular his particular brand of geniality, and it really comes off well. And another another line of his I love is when he is when he tells Loki. You can be whoever or whatever you want to be, even someone good. I, I mean, just in, just in case anyone ever told you different. I thought that, that that was a really touching moment, 
again, just, just to show you the, the progression that has been made between between uh, Loki and Mobius. Because I, I think I think even 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 in the beginning of the show, even though I did say that Mobius is being tough on Loki, especially during the interrogations, but I think Mobius, you know, might have been the only person in the TVA who had any, who had any fa- any any sort of face in Loki, any any sort of face that Loki could change his path, that that Loki could be a better person, you know, that that, that, that he that he can grow, that he can grow, that he can be that he can be unselfish, you know, maybe and. And not, and not and not be so petty, and you know that makes his that makes his pruning all the more heartrending. And then of course you know, Ravana escorts Loki and Sylvie to meet the Timekeepers, and right off the bat I knew that the Timekeepers, you know they they look fake as hell. I mean they they look like carnival dummies. And then of course once the fight starts and and, and then uh, one of the one of the heads gets cut off. And then that's when we that's when we finally realize, oh, they're fake, and this was this was all a cover up. Again, like with the cult, like I feel like that's what a cult would do. That's what a cult does. You know, they they try to shroud, you know, they they try to shroud shroud the leaders, and keep keep you know keep all of the the inner workings a mystery. And uh, and and then of course. Loki, and then of course Loki tries to uh, confess his love for for Sylvie, but then of course he gets pruned in the back by Ravana, and in a similar fashion to him stabbing Coulson in the, in the Avengers, which is uh, which is pretty ironic. And I do want to say, well, well, now that we're up to that, I do want to say it, it is it is kind of weird that Loki and Sylvie that there is this romance between them. I mean, I know that they, I know that they are variants of each of each other. And I can't. I I don't know. I I don't know. Is it is it, necess- is it necessarily incest? I mean, or or is it or is it more like a like a masturbatory relationship, because Loki and Sylvie are in love with each other, and the variants of each other is not like the variants of other of other people. But but still, it's it's kind of weird. But you know, yeah, you know, whatever. And okay, and, and I I also enjoyed the scene when. When Sylvie gives when Sylvie gives Hunter B fifteen back her memories, and you know the memories of the memories of her life, that was a nice scene to watch. And I'm surfi- I'm a little surprised we never got a flashback, uh, on B 15s life. Because because I always kind of wondered because the Hunter Hunter C twenty the one that uh the one that Sylvie interrogated, I I I thought that maybe Hunter B fifteen and C twenty like maybe they they were friends. Or maybe they were in a relationship, just because just because of the way of the way that uh, B fifteen uh, talked talked about her and and regarded her, so I thought maybe we see a flashback with them. But I, I guess we I guess we didn't we didn't need the flashback. That's maybe maybe it might have been un- unnecessary. But yeah, it's nice it's nice to see B fifteen make make her turn here, and then she comes into the the timekeeper's lair and she helps out with the fight. And then we get a post credit scene with Loki waking up because he because we thought that when you're pruned you get you just get disintegrated. But then it turns out Loki wakes up, he's in some sort of alternate reality and he wake up and he wakes up to find four Loki's. So it's classic Loki, Kid Loki, Boastful Loki, and Alligator Loki. <laughs> and from what I've heard, I think there might be a frog a frog Loki in the comics, I think. But yeah. Weird. 
Okay, next up is episode 5, the penultimate episode of the show, A Journey into Mystery, written by Tom Kaufman, who is yet another writer for Rick and Morty. And I, this is my favorite episode in the show. I think it's just the way that this, that this, that this unfolds. Again, it, it's weird because I don't think this actually does, this doesn't have that much plot meat either. It's, again, much more character-based, but I enjoyed this even more than, uh, than episode 3. I think there's definitely, especially at the end of this episode, just, I felt I felt like there was just so much emo- so much emotional payoff, and because, because just anyway, I enjoy I enjoy, I enjoy all the interactions that Loki has, that Tom Hilton's Loki has, with the other Lokis, and you've got you know Rich, you know you've got Richard E. Grant playing classic Loki, and Richard E. Grant he must have been a total geek on set because from what I found you know when he, when he posted photos of himself. On, on the set of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, when he played when he played General Pride, you know, for for the for the First Order, he just seemed so so enthusiastic about being on the set for Star Wars. So I bet he was pumped for Marvel as well. And I re- and I I think he was the perfect choice for classic Loki because if you if you're like because Lo- Loki is such a, a prideful character, but but Grant's take on classic Loki, it felt like, it, it felt like that pride had been deflated, like he had lost some of that pride, and he became grounded along the way, because we learned that, you know, his, that his story is that he actually survived, he survived Thanos, he tricked Thanos into killing a projection of himself, and then afterwards, classic Loki went on to uh, hide out on a, di- on a distant planet, and then he got to the point, you know, after years and years, he got to the point where he missed Sora, he missed his brother, and then he tried to leave, but then the TVA caught him and pruned him. And so you could, you could, I think you could definitely, you could, you could definitely tell through the performance that he became much more down to earth. I think definitely much more down to earth than the other Lokis we've seen. And then, and then you also have Kid Loki. Who who actually who actually killed Thor, and that's where his path diverged, and it, and it's funny because that that's why he's king because they they the the Loki's in the in the void. That's that's I've got to mention so the void is basically at the end of time, and that's where, and that's where anything get, anything that gets pruned, or anything you know that gets that gets teleported out of time just goes all the way to to the void. And it's just this this mishmash of time and space, and that's where the Loki's and that's where the Loki's are, and so they assign Kid Loki as king, because he killed Thor, which I think that you know that, that's a nice idea. I mean, uh, you know that's what I feel like that's what a lot of the Loki's have aspired to is wanting to kill Thor. And then of course you know Allig- Alligator Loki, I'm not sure. You know, obviously, obviously we don't learn what Alligator Loki's story is. We just know that you know. You're an, allig- you're an alligator, which you know again pretty hilarious, and and it w- it was it was CGI, but they had I think a stuffed alligator there on set to just you know for the sideline to stand in place for the alligator Loki for the CGI, and then both and then there's both for Loki, which according to him he killed Iron Man, Captain America, and then stole all of the Infinity Stones, but it is but I think. 
it, it is implied that he he's probably lying, that he might be lying about that. You know, just be, you know, boastful, as his name goes, just bragging about his accomplishments. And we we even meet President Loki, and his own army of Lokis. And uh, again, it's, not, it's nice to see it's nice to see the differences between the Lokis, because then when when President Loki comes in. And he and he and he because because both were Loki, uh, betrayed the other Lokis, betrayed betrayed classic Loki, Kid Loki, and Alligator Loki, and gave away their location. But then President Loki betrays both were Loki, and then suddenly all of the Lokis, uh, just start fighting each other because then the, then the army of Lokis betray President Loki, and then the Alligator Loki bites off President Loki's hand, and you're just seeing all of these Lokis just brawl with each other. And I really enjoyed when Tom Hiddleston's Loki, the, the Loki variant, when he, he just looks so embarrassed, so mortified at seeing how petty and backstabbing he, 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 he's capable of being. And even at, you know, after they leave that hideout, there's even, you know, the, the kid Loki is like, you know, when, whenever any of us try to fix ourselves, TBA comes along to, you know, to prune us. And, 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 it's, and it's true, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how the Lokis, you know, at least we, we, ha we have a few Lokis who are capable of change, but then it seems like, oh, well, they're just destined to always fail or to be traitorous and, you know, to be cunning and, and, you know, always deceive everyone. And then, trivia fact, the ship, the, the ship that shows up in the episode, it gets, swall it gets swallowed up by the Elias, the big smoke monster that guides the void. That ship is actually, again, it's like D.B. Cooper, it's another little tidbit, it's called USS Aldridge. And that's a, that, that's a real thing, because there's this myth about something called the Philadelphia Experiment. Because in October of 1943, a conspiracy theory claimed that the U.S. Navy tried to invent an invisibility cloak for those ships, an experiment that resulted in the USS Aldridge being surrounded by a green fog and then vanishing and people alleged that it was teleported through the space-time continuum. And, I, of course, I, I, don't, I don't personally don't, don't think it's real, but, you know, it, it is quite a, it is a conspiracy theory that has a lot of supporters. But according to the show, the Aldridge pop, uh, popped up in the void, which is, again, an, another nice bit of, uh, you know, weaving real-life events into the show. And I enjoyed the scene when Ivana is interrogating Hunter B-15. And, you know, and B-15, it, it's just like, you know, we need to tell the truth about that everyone here is, is very, in the TVA are variants. And, but Ivana wants to maintain, wants to maintain the stability, the, the facade of the TVA. And she strikes, she strikes me, again, if we're, you know, if we're going to compare the TVA to a cult, Ivana strikes me as the type of high-level courtist who would do anything, who has been, who has been, who has been sunk so deep into the missiles of the cult that she's willing to do anything to uh, to, ma to, ma to maintain the lies and the secrecy. And I mean, you know, that even happened. If you look into what happened with uh, Jonestown, there were a few members who were like that, who would, who would shoot any other courtists. Who would try to escape Jonestown, and so Ravana reminds me a lot, a lot of that type of uh, 
Colter's personality. And then, of course, you know, you've got Mobius showing up in his pizza car to save Sylvie. You've got, you know, Loki and Sylvie, they team up to enchant Elias in order, because, because they figure out that they need to get past Elias in, in order to, in order to get to what, in order to get to, get to whatever, whatever is beyond the end of time, whatever is beyond the void, because they suppose that's where the creator of the TVA is hiding out. And, and just, just to jump, jump back a little, I also, I, I, I enjoy the moment when Sylvie prunes herself, because, you know, she's trying to work with Ravana, believing that she'll help her, but then Ravana betrays her, and then Sylvie, and then Sylvie goes, you know, I have one good memory, and she prunes herself. Because you know, right before Ravana pruned Loki, he was about he was about to tell her that he, he was about to tell Sylvie that he loved her, and I think Sylvie definitely felt uh, reciprocated that for him, and so that's why you know she prunes herself, and I think that's a, that's a great moment in the show, and 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 then classic Loki, he ends up he ends up making this huge you know hero move, and he and he builds up this giant projection of what I'm assuming is Asgard in order to distract Elias. And I think that this was a perfect way for classic Loki to go out. You know, especially at the end, when he just yelled, Glorious purpose! And he cackles. And, and you know, he just cackles all the way until Elias gobbles him up in his, in his maw. And, again, I think perfect perfect way for him to go out. Because, you know, this whole thing, this, again, a through line for the show, is for the Loki, is for Lokis, is for all of the Lokis. So wanting to wanting to wanting to achieve their so-called glorious purpose, and I believe you know classic classic Loki did, did that here by helping out Loki and Sylvie. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a great moment, and especially in at in, in the climax of this fifth episode, the score is just it it just is fantastic here. Again, I I can't wait for it to drop on Spotify so I can listen to it. And now we're gonna get into the sixth episode, episode six, for all time, always, written by Michael Waldron and Eric Martin. And it opens up. It op- It opens up well here. It, you know, you have the the Marvel opening credit, the opening title card, but but it's also accompanied by all of these uh, quotes from the MCU characters. And then you go into this whole Big Bang sequence with quotes from real-life figures like Greta, Thun- like Greta Thunberg and Nelson Mandela. And then I, th- I think we even, I think we even hear a vision in what, what is a grief if not love persevering, the quote from WandaVision. I think we even hear that here. And you can also hear It's Been a Long, Long Time, the song that played over Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter dancing at the end of, at the end of Endgame. Like, does it mean that there's a core universe, and then are we, like, is there a core universe, and then are we moving into a different universe? Like, maybe is that where the Citadel at the end of time is? And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But, uh, and then, so, so then we all, so then we have Loki and Sylvie, they're going to the Citadel, the Citadel at the end of time. That's where the, the creator of the TVA is residing. And this is when, this is when, Miss Minutes shows up, and she. This is when she gets into a her sinister voice, and even even just the animation of her eyes, she, you know, and and makes her look pretty evil. And again, you know, kudos to Tara Strong for being able to for being able to play into the voice that way. 
and Miss Minutes with both teacher creative TBA as he who remains. And they never and so we do meet him and we know they never explicitly call him Kang in in the show. But it is, I mean, not ex- not exactly Kang, but it is pretty much Kang because it's Jonathan Majors playing him, who is, by the way, he was also on Lovecraft Country, and we know we know that he's we we know who he is because he was cast as he was cast to play Kang, the main villain, Kang the Conqueror, the main villain in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum And just to give you a bit of background information, Kang the Conqueror in the comics. He's this, you know, time tra- time traveling tyrant who wants to rule the world in every time period. And uh, and I guess any t- any time traveled so much, it's like he doesn't he doesn't even give a crap about time traveling, whether it sets off any paradoxes. And he just time travels all around, and he ends up cre- and he ends up leaving behind multiple versions of more uh, variants of himself. And you know, and he and he and he'll have multiple identities. I think he has the identity of Immortus and uh, Scarlet Centurion and Ramatut, uh, Nathaniel Richards. That's his original identity because he's the descendant of Reed Richards, aka Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. And there's, there's even a teenage version of Kang called Iron Lad. He he's basically like teenage. He's basically like a like a teenage Iron Man, who ends up creating the young the young Avengers, in the comics. And and another another trivia fact: He Who Remains was was in the comics actually, not Kang. He who He Who Remains is unrelated is unrelated to Kang, but he was the last director of the TVA, and was also in the in the Citadel at the end of time. And right off the bat, I'm all into Jonathan Major's performance as he who remains. You know, t- typically we expect a villain who's you know imposing, and just and, and just get, gives off this menacing presence, and you know maybe it's covered up, covered up in CGI like Ultron or Thanos, but instead we just get this human this human guy who is breezy and flippant, and he's just kind of like eat, eating eating an apple. And just you know, quite quite goofy, and he and he definitely definitely gives off you know the uh Willy Wonka vibes, just you know in his in his purple in his purple bluish robes. And I think Jonathan Majors he, he did a great job. He did a great job in this in this role, not only for the personality itself, but also for uh, for for being able to again deliver the exposition in a way that's engaging. Because again, you know. Like like the other episodes, the finale is dialogue heavy. It just it just centers around this long conversation, and I appreciate it. Again, it's it's quite watchable. It's like it's, again, so you you have a talking, but then he who remains pairs it with visuals. As he talks about how he was a, a scientist from the twenty from the thirty first century, and he ended up you know. Inventing technology to cross over into alternate dimensions, and then his and then variants of himself also invented that same tech, and they were all able to meet up and share technologies, and they were able to maintain peace between each other. But then, of course, you know some some of them, and they get tyrannically ambitious, and they start up a multiversal war, and he who remains 
has to end it by create by founding the TVA and you know just keep streamlining the sacred timeline so that there are no there are no variants of him there are no variants of him to cause troubles and he's the one, and he's the one just ruling over everything from the from behind the shadows behind from behind the curtain and I, I and I and I like the way that he portrayed here because on the one hand it is like yes he he has done awful things by 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 hi- by hiding the truth from the variants by kidnap by abducting the variants and then hiding the truth from them and forcing them brainwashing them into becoming you know workers for the TVA. But on the other hand, it also seems like he's the most benevolent out of all of you know his possible variants. He's the one who just wants to keep things calm and maintain order rather than letting chaos and despotism rule like again some of his some of his some of his other variants and you know there's even a quote that he says where he goes i've been dubbed many names by many people a ruler a conqueror he who remains a jerk but it's not as simple as a name which again is funny because in the comics he has multiple identities and i'm assuming I'm assuming we'll get it. We'll get, we'll get into that in MCU. And it, it is tough because he's the source of of this information. We're not sure that we're, that we're able to trust him. But I mean, personally, I thought he he was being pretty truthful. And it does seem like he knows everything that will happen because he, well, well, he like he because he he said he initially says that, you know, he paved the road for Loki and Sylvie. He know he knew everything that was going to happen. And he sat down, and he sat down the path for them to follow, so that they would come all the way up to this point of meeting him. And he did, and it, but then he does admit later on that he doesn't know what will happen beyond this point, beyond this point, because now it's up to Loki and Sylvie to decide, you know, to decide whether or not they want to take over, you know, take over the TVA and keep things flowing smoothly. They they can tell the variants the truth, or they can kill. He who remains, and you know, he, because he he, admi- he admits that he's tired of this. He's tired. Of, he's tired of of governing the TVA, and now I think he just wants to move on. So whether you know he lives or dies, it doesn't matter to him. He's just gonna let Loki and Sylvie, you know, make make that choice. And Loki, you know, it, lo- I and I and then I I enjoyed the fight between Loki and Sylvie because this makes sense. I think. Judging from what the characters would do, it makes sense from a character from a character logic standpoint. And I know that this was one this was one of the things that people criticized criticized the finale for. But I'm just think, I'm just thinking because I feel like Loki. I feel it makes sense that Loki, after making all this progress in the show, that he would want to just take over the TVA and be truthful with variants. And it, and and he and. You know, he he's even like, well, wait, let's be patient. He says that to Sylvie, but Sylvie doesn't want that. She instead keeps trying to to kill he he remains, but then Loki keeps keeps trying to fight her, and I think this it makes sense that Sylvie would want to kill he who remains because her whole, her whole life she's been moving towards this goal of destroying the TPA, and I think that if she were to give up on this goal. If she were to merely take it over and not kill he who, he who remains, it would eliminate that objective she's been working to, she's been working towards her whole life. 
and so I think it would make sense that she would that she would be unreasonably stubborn, even if it doesn't make sense. It's just like, well, I've been working, I've 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 wanted this my whole life, so I might as well just go for it, for the sake of completing it. Then they kiss, Loki and Sylvie, and you know it seems like a good moment at first, but then Sylvie says, "I'm not you," and she sends them through a port. She sends them through the through the portal back to the TBA. And again, I found that to be a heartbreaking moment because because now it's like, well, Lo- Lo- you know, Loki. I think this this was the first time where he's been truly vulnerable to someone he had grown to care about, and now at this first opportunity, he just gets reject totally rejected. And you know, so that was heartbreaking to watch. And even again, Tom Hiddleston doing a great job here. I think portraying that heartbreak. And then so and then Sylvie goes on to kill he who remains and then all he, all he does is all he does is just you know wink and he says see you soon and then he dies and then Sylvie and then Sylvie just starts crying because now we're now we're, we're, we're seeing we're, we're, the, the, bran- the branch the timeline was already start, starting to branch off through the window in the background but now it's really branching off the branches are really growing thicker and now Sylvie is just crying because you know, it, it, it's probably just so overwhelming because she's been wanting this revenge for so long, and so it's probably just overwhelming for her to have finally achieved it. And, and unfortunately, it is, it, is, it is also such a hollow moment because now we're seeing that he who remains was telling telling the truth. That now he's now that he's dead, there's no one to stop uh, the time the timeline from branching off and into a multiverse. Oh yes, and then Mobius and Ravana they had their own standoff, and I like and I like that a, a lot. I like how Ravana was a, I like how Ravana uh, left, and you know she was like you know she's gonna go off in search of free will. And I will say I'm not I'm not quite certain what that's supposed to mean because because I could I can't even now I can't quite tell if she's trying to search for free will, who in order to in order to destroy it, or like maybe is she gonna go off in search of he who remains, or is she going to just leave the TVA completely, and really go off in search of free will to live her life as she wants? I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't quite tell, but yeah, I, I thought I, I found that to be a rewarding scene to watch, and and then the episode wraps up with Loki, you know, running through the TVA. And you know everyone's all in a in a panic because the multiverse because the multiverse is starting, and then Loki runs up to Mobius and B fifteen, and you know he's asking for them for help, but then we realize Mobius doesn't even recognize Loki, and then Loki sees a statue in the TBA, and instead of the stat instead of the statues of those three you know galactic lizards that we've been seeing, you know in the TBA, they've been replaced by a statue of Kang of Kang. In his classic costume, and I'm I'm, assu- I'm assuming this I'm assuming this is because the Kang in this time, you know, we re- we realize that this is a, a, an alternate timeline, a, a timeline where Kang felt comfortable ruling out in the open rather than behind curtains. And we don't get much else from that other than that, other than the the announcement, the post the post credits announcement that we're getting a season two. But yeah, that's it, and then that's the end of the show. And then yeah, so we, so that's why I have the criticism for the finale. It's because again, I enjoyed most of it. 
I enjoy you know Loki and Sylvie having the conversation with he remains. I enjoyed the I enjoyed Loki and Sylvie's fight. I thought that made sense for the character arcs. I but and uh, but but now but now we have because because again there's not much resolution because now we you know we have this whole thing where Loki gets sent back to get sent back to an alternate timeline. And it's not it's not like he even teams up with Mobius. I felt like it would have been better if he had went back to, if if Sylvie had sent him back to the original timeline. I don't think she did she did that on purpose. I think that was by accident. But you know, it, it would have been better if Loki could, could have gone back to the to his original timeline and then he could team up with Mobius and you know, maybe give Mobius his jet ski because you know that was something he mentioned back early on in, in the show. And I just wanted all the way through. I wanted him to have his jet ski. But now we have Loki stranded in an alternate timeline, and you know there's, there's just not much resolution. It's like I said before. It's like being it's like being stranded on one side of a bridge that sun that suddenly rises up, and now we just have to wait for season two to come around. Because now it's like, what's gonna happen for the second season? Are we gonna have this whole new thing where Loki has to befriend a new, a different Mobius? And it just feels like it, it wipes it wipes away a lot of the, the the progress that's been made through the story in the first season. And you know, it just it just it leaves it le- it leaves too many plot arcs and character arcs unresolved. And it, you know, it, it even it, it comes across a, a little like, you know, promotional material for for the MCU. And especially after Loki and Sylvie had their fight, you know, I, I want something more hopeful. I don't I don't want an ending that leaves me down like this. And, you know, again again if again if you just tweak 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 these last few minutes for the finale and I think it would have been pretty much perfect. I would have, you know, loved to show it would have been on the same level as WandaVision. But, you know, oh well. And now now that we're at the end of the show, so now now the multiverse is starting. So now this is connecting to at least three other MCU movies. There's going to be Spider-Man No Way Home, which will will deal with multiple Peter Parkers, you know, like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Then you've got, you know, Emma Stone coming back as Gwen Stacy, and Kirsten Dunst as MJ. Then you've got, you know, Doc Ock, Alfred Molina, and Jamie Foxx as Electro. You've got all that stuff, you know, all of the multiverses, all of the multiverses crashing together. And then, of course, there's also Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which will deal with time travel. And Kang being the main villain. And the thing is, so Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania comes out on February 17, 2023. So that's why I'm, I'm not sure if Loki Season 2 will come out before then, because, I mean, I, I mean unless, unless it is in the plans to have Kang come back in Loki Season 2, or maybe you'll have a different villain to, to uh, pit the characters against, to pit Loki against in Season 2. But otherwise, I'm not. I'm not sure. Season, I'm not sure season two will come out before Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania comes out in 2023. Yeah. So yeah. So those are, those are my all, all of my thoughts on Loki. 
again, just overall really enjoyed the show. Well directed, well written for the most part. I just wish that finality was tweaked a bit. Also, uh, I did hear that uh, Kate Heron, the director for the show, is not going to come back for the second season. And I wonder why that is, because I just, yeah, she, she didn't give a specific reason for why, but she, yeah, she's not. So, yeah, I do, I do, I do wonder what, how the direction will head in the second season. Just as a side note, I'm also concerned as to how the multiverse will play out in the MCU. Because, you know, they're setting up, they're setting, they're setting up all of these different branches. And I just hope that the MCU sets up a core, a, a core timeline for us viewers to be invested in. Because it could get to a point where, A, you know, we, we get confused, we get befuddled as to what's happening to which characters and what timeline. Or, B, it could also get to the point where if, say, one character dies or if one ter- terrible event happens in one branch, then we can be like, oh, well, what does that matter? You know, we have these other characters and these other events and this other timeline. And so I just, I just hope that the MCU can uh, can f- can try to keep try to keep the majority of its stories grounded in one timeline in the in the core timeline, and that way it's easier for us to be to care to care about it to be to be, to, to to feel emotionally invested in the, the stories that happen in that timeline. Anyways, so yeah, so that's my review of Loki, and now I'll be getting into Good World. And this is the segment where I can recommend, you know, books, movies, music, podcasts, you know, news pieces, anything that I want. And what I'm going to recommend for Good Word today is uh, Deadpool and Quirk's uh, trailer reaction to Free Guy. It's, it's, been out for almost, it's been out for about a week now, but if, so, but if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. It's just hilarious. Just the way that, you know, Deadpool and Quirk's are... You know, the way they talk about the movie, and they, you know, the way they poke fun at the MCU and Disney Plus, and even at you know the the fridging trope, and and it's and, and it's funny because Free Free Guy they did mention that Free Guy was supposed to come out actually a year ago, and it was I mean but, but of course that was you know during the whole you know Fox selling itself off to Disney debacle. And I think this is one of the one of the last movies to come out of Fox. And yeah, so 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 check out the trailer reaction. It really is hilarious. And as always, we'll end this episode with my socials. You can find this podcast on Twitter at two t w u o underscore sense critic. You can follow my personal Twitter account at Archer underscore ant eighteen. That's a n t one eight. You can uh, you can reach me at email to number two sense critic at yahoo.com and you can find my blog at uh, two sense critic.com and you can and make sure you also hop over to Apple Podcasts to iTunes and give me some re- reviews and ratings there or you know wherever you're listening to this podcast you know subscribe rate review and until next time stay healthy and stay strong.